dear listener, and welcome to the 10th episode of the Metacast Crypto in the Corners, brought to you by Navic. I'm your host, Nicolas Vreke, or Nico for short, and today I'm joined by our friend Ryan Fu. So he's a game economist, and he's on the gaming team at Delphi Digital, where he invests in play-to-earn and play-and-earn games. And together with him, we are joined by Tender, who is the co-founder of Krabada, which is a play-and-earn idle game on the Avalanche blockchain. And so um, today for this episode, we are, you know, talking about Krabata. We're, we're diving a bit deeper into, you know, the game, the mechanics, um, how it differs from other play and earn games out there. Um, and then we'll see what we can take away um, to think about the future of this this whole industry. So, um, yeah, let's dive in. Let's start at the beginning. Um, Tenor, I'm, I'm interested to know, like, a bit of the background of you and the team. And when you decided or how you decided to build something like Robata, um, just a bit more on the on the history of it. Yeah, I think, first of all, very nice to meet you, um, Nicole. And yeah, so I think just to give uh, a short uh, backstory of the Krabata team. So we actually conceptualized and started working on Krabata uh, in 2021. And uh, there were already various role models and inspiration of what gaming on the blockchain could look like. So really, we were just sort of standing on the shoulder, shoulders of uh, giants. There are four co-founders and each of us were already working with EBM-based applications, just in different capacities. And um, could, you, could you elaborate what an EVM-based application is? Yeah. So we were working across, I think, uh, you know, the DeFi space, very early on use cases for blockchain. So this was way back in 2017 and 2016. Um, so just, um, yeah, just, I think, uh, across a few uh, use cases. Okay. So uh, we were also gamers ourselves, and you know, I, I used to play a fair bit of um, you know Hearthstone, Starcraft, Warcraft, um, you know, and even today I still play. Um, I still play games. So you know, as gamers ourselves, it it, it was quite an interesting thing to explore. So um, yeah, and that was uh, how we started. And because I mean, your game is currently live um, and doing relatively well. How many players do you have currently? So currently we have just above uh, 2,000 players. So we actually launched about two months ago uh, in middle of November. And um, when we launched, we, we had about, I think, 1,000 players just join us right off the bat. But, um, you know, I think with game launches, you, you sort of have to ignore, um, you know, the first couple of weeks, right? And, you know, just attribute it to noise. And, you know, so, so what we've seen is sort of like a slow and steady uh, increase in users, something about 25% uh, week on week so far. Mm -hmm. That's good. It's a good number, um, and we can go into you know what players need to get started. But first, before we do that, I, I'm interested to understand why you decided to build on Avalanche, um, and not on on like why not on another you know blockchain. We we decided that the first the the first game that we were going to launch was going to be totally on chain. We want to just be keeping more things on chain, and just also due to the familiarity with um, working with EVM based things. So. We looked across a few uh, networks. So we looked across um, Polygon, BSC, uh, Avalanche, uh, Phantom. And what we chose to look at as a gaming team was sort of the roadmap um, of the blockchain team itself, as well as the ecosystem. So we found that Avalanche was very progressive. They had very nice technology and they were shipping on time. So that was one of the reasons why uh, we chose Avalanche. Um, and one particularly cool part about Avalanche, it's uh, it's actually a subnet, right? Um, which I think uh, has been uh, going around, um, you know, been a lot more public um, uh, recently. 
So subnets represented an opportunity for us to take on-chain gaming to the next level, where you know gas concerns would be less of an issue, uh, among other benefits. The other nice part about Avalanche is the ecosystem. So one thing we did was to just you know um, start talking to builders across the different blockchains, and uh, you know we found Avalanche to be a very very welcoming space. We got you know connected to folks, uh, to really nice folks, and you know, it was just the same sort of energy that you know that, that we saw um, happening on Ethereum in 2017 and even earlier. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And um, so one of the reasons I'm always um, well, I'm interested in blockchain technology just because of the composability where, you know, one team builds a certain solution for a game and you can almost, you know, just fork that code and do with it whatever you want. And that way it allows you to build great things way faster. Is that something that you've, ha- you have been able to do within the Avalanche ecosystem? Yeah. So I think this this is really interesting because you have the top-down approach to uh, to developing games which has sort of been in place, I think, you know, for a very, very long time. And last year, looking at projects like Loot, it's, it's very exciting to see uh, bottom-up uh, approaches to games. Um, but currently, I, I would think that there is not enough data to validate this approach uh, completely. So I think for DeFi, we've seen it make a lot of sense. But for games, I think the amount of co- coordination uh, needed or perhaps agencies uh, between people, I think, you know, it's, it's really exciting for me. And um, I do want to see more of that. So... From our end, um, you know, uh, what we're doing is publishing the sort of DNA or attributes of, of our crabs, which are NFTs. Uh, this is totally public. We expose you know, um, um, APIs as well for third-party developers to come in. So at this point, what we're seeing is a lot of tools, right? Not so much of, say, like uh, Krabada implemented within another game specifically. We would like to see it. Krabada has to be at this point where developers feel comfortable coming in and spending you know, time and energy to say, you know, build off what we have uh, started so far. I, I think it's very exciting to share that, you know, uh, currently we have one project that is, you know, sort of building on top of Krabada uh, already. Not, not, on the gaming, not on the gaming side, but on the lending side. Yeah. To sort of reduce the barriers of accessibility for new players. Okay, that's really interesting. Um, and so I guess uh, this might be similar to the way the Sky Mavis team looks at the future of Axie, where you know you have these axes, these assets, um, and they're hoping that within their Axie ecosystem, other developers, game developers, will build experiences where you can also use the axes that you can use in, in the, their current iteration of their game. Is that something you're you're hoping for as well, Tender? Yeah. So I, I think what Axie has has done so far, especially I think with the uh, recent news uh, this week. Um, it's 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 really amazing, right? To create this ecosystem that is so so big, and you know, um, new new developers can just come in and sort of write off the existing uh, user base. Um, you know, and it's I think a much easier way to penetrate the market than starting from scratch completely because you have the support of the ecosystem behind you. Also, I think the difference in how we see it is that yes, um, that is one piece of that, but can we also support other games that you know that don't necessarily involve Acrobata? Because I think. With gaming, we're at the stage where you know there are many new games launching. Just you know, maybe from I think like a web two background, or even you know blockchain developers like ourselves that are just sort of coming into the space as well. So I think there is a lot of room to support other games um, together without actually having to have direct uh, intersections. Just based on the technology layer, there are so many tools that could be shared, right? Um, and and co-invested in to make life better for everyone. And that's how we see it. 
That makes a lot of sense. And then my, my final question before we get into you know what the game is, um, what's the game development backgrounds of, of the people on the team? Because I've, I've seen quite a few who come more from the DeFi side, but don't have any real experience working on you know the traditional kinds of games. Um, uh, how's that situation with, with you guys? Yeah, for our team, we were quite technically competent and you know, um, uh, like I was sharing, so we are in the latter category of uh, just really familiar with technology. Um, and, and, and for me, I have been sort of uh, working on tokenomics uh, since 2017. So there was some context in terms of economy. Um, and one thing that we did, decided to do right from the start was to just bring in uh, gaming talent. So part of our core team you know, consists of um, just really experienced uh, game developers game designers to just sort of make up for what we were originally lacking. So I think, you know, as a game team, um, you know, it's just good to just recognize uh, where your weaknesses and strengths as a, as operator and just fill those quickly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. What is, um, How's the team dynamic? Because right now, um, for the listeners out there, we try to re we record the audio, but we look at each other. But Tender, I can't see his face. I don't know how he looks, um, and uh, also don't know his his real name. Um, is your full team anonymous? And how does that work with the rest of your core team? Is everyone anonymous? Is everyone you know distributed across the world? We're just working together through through Discord conversations. How does that how does that work? Yeah. So. Part of our team is uh, doxed. Uh, so, say for example, we have uh, we have Jesse, um, who is you know um, doing Froyo as well. Okay. So we, we have actually attended uh, live events as well, but it's sort of selective, and and you know a large part of that is just due to I guess like uh, mm -hmm. uh, security, and we we would just really like you know our product to speak for itself. It makes sense. Makes sense. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Now let's dive in. Like, what is Corbata? How does it work? You you talked about crabs. Um, maybe uh, yeah, you can just give like a short explanation of, of the game dynamics. Uh, like, what kind of an idle game? What what do people need to play the game, etc. A quick overview. Yeah. So Corbata is a fully on-chain uh, idle game, and you play Corbata with a team of three crabs. So currently, right now, we support uh, two game modes, and one of them is called mining. Uh, where you can send your crabs out to look for treasure, and this takes about four hours. Uh, the other game mode is uh, is called looting, where you could play in a pseudo PvP uh, mode to attack players that are currently mining. And when you attack players, then there is sort of some um, uh, some additional steps to resolve the battle. It's basically a battle of strength. So th that is our current uh, game mode right now. Okay, so you have mining, which is an idle game, which means that Correctly, if I understand correctly, you have crabs, you send them on the mining mission, which take four, takes four hours. So basically each four hours you come back, you harvest your rewards and you can initiate a new mining mission. Is that, is that correct? Uh, yes, exactly. Okay. And then looting is basically, you know, you can also, I guess like this also has a timing thing in it um, where you can just initiate a kind of PvP combat. Again, you need crabs for this. Yes, uh, that is correct. So looting is more time intensive. It's it has a shorter cooldown, mm -hmm. so you can actually uh, play play looting a bit more. But also, it's more risky in a sense where you're not actually guaranteed uh, rewards. So if you're losing cons constantly as a looter, it's not uh, it becomes a lot less attractive than mining. And of course, you know you're you're spending more time and energy on it as well. Interesting. All right. And can you talk to me about the assets in game? So you have crabs that we know, but you talk about mining. What is being mined? Um, what kind of uh, NFTs are there? What kind of you know, normal tokens are there? So we currently have 
uh, three tokens in the, in the ecosystem and um, one NFT token. So we have the Krebs, you know, which okay. are um, based on on uh, ERC seven two one, and you know these are sort of unique characters that have their own DNA, their own attributes. They have properties of uh, class and faction as well. So you know we have sort of various species of of uh, of Krebs that you know mm-hmm. each belong to a certain uh, faction that will be further developed in uh, our next game. Very similar to Axis, then where you have these you know. These creatures with different characteristics. Uh, yes, yeah, it's it's quite similar in in that sense. So for our tokens, we have we have three of them. So we have the governance token, which is called Kra, and uh, Kra is actually given as a bonus reward um, for playing the game for a limited period of time. So Kra allows a user to uh, to to participate in governance uh, down the road. But for now, he he is able to stake this to earn a reward token called Cram. So Cram. Um, is uh, Krabada amulets, and this can be spent on in in-game utility. Say, for example, right now you could spend Krem to increase the number of teams that that uh, that you can have. So the default is three. So we have seen you know quite good um, adoption of this uh, token to increase team sizes. Our final token is uh, TUS, which is the main uh, reward currency for um, you know for mining and looting. Uh, this this would consist of a large uh, uh, bulk of of the rewards that a user can earn. And um, for TUS, it stands for uh, Treasure Undersea. So not only is it a reward token, but it's actually the main currency which the marketplace functions on. So when you're buying and selling craps, you're actually using the, the game reward currency itself. Mm-hmm. Before we continue, um, I think this is an interesting discussion. And, and Ryan, I'd like to have your thoughts on this as well. Because I think it makes sense as a game team to have your own uh, or at least control over the token that is the the you know the driver of liquidity within your ecosystem just as you know a country prefers to have control over their own currency because that way they can you know if needed inflate it or deflate it um and have you know at least control over over that aspect um what are your thoughts Ryan can you talk a bit more about that decision actually like to use TUS in the marketplace as opposed to something like you know USD or even like um EVA or AVAX, which is you know the Avalanche kind of native token, so to speak. So we wanted the the main reward token to to be a bit more connected to the ecosystem, where you know it's it's a bit more uh, tied together, where you could earn it and spend it without actually having to you know uh, convert it into something else. So we just wanted to establish this as the primary hard currency of our ecosystem. Yeah, I think I think this is like a dynamic that you kind of see um, with with these. And it kind of coincides with the, this idea of the rise of digital nations, right? So I think, you know, if you look at Axie, for example, um, a lot of the rhetoric is around, like, you know, branding as a digital nation. And, you know, in, in a sense, like, that digital nationhood also involves, like, control over the currencies that that operates within a nation. And you can, I think, I think the dual token model kind of facilitates that as well, because now you have control over this soft currency, so-called soft currency in, like, soft traditional gaming world, right? Which is, like, your gold. The, the resources kind of earned in game through play to earn. And then you have like this kind of governance token, which is, you know, the so-called harder currency, right? Which, you know, kind of gives you, in, in Axie's case, it gives you like um, voting rights over the treasury of the game, for example. So that is a, that, that sort of clean separation then, um, you know, the the team is incentivized to support the AXS, in, in Axie's case, support the kind of governance token, but then, in, but then also, the, having control over 
the in-game currency, having that sort of clean separation allows them to, you know, maintain focus on the game experience, right? So when I say maintaining game, focus on the game experience, like if the currency kind of touches all these different game systems, then you have this separation and having control over that is, I think, key to help help control the game experience. So there is the kind of interesting tension here, right? Because, you know, there's this sort of managed, managed uh, economy or managed currency as opposed to like sort of mm-hmm. allowing it to be freely floating. So yeah, there's a tension there, I think, between like, you know, sort of the crypto, you know, the origin of Bitcoin of the 21 million ever, and then this, you know, sort of capital control. But, well, not capital control, but like sort of control over monetary supply and the like. So it's pretty interesting to see. But I think like teams that are able to really navigate it well, and it's, I think it's a must in order to kind of control like, you know, your, or at least it's sort of the most, um, I, I think I did this a little bit, like to kind of clean it up. Um, but yeah, I think it is kind of, uh, you know, one of the more preferred approaches we've seen coming up uh, in, to, to kind of manage the clear experience, right? So the separation of governance and utility within game. Yes, exactly. Yeah, separation of governance and utility. I think like, you know, having um, a token that, you know, has in-game utility separate from, you know, a more kind of premium currency that, you know, is only rewarded for value contribution activities and, you know, value accrues to that token, right? The, the so-called governance token, at least obliquely, right? Okay, no, you gotta, you gotta cut that part out because that's a, that's a bit dicey. Yeah, I, I can sort of chime in as well as to completely agree with what Ryan says. Uh, we actually have been using our treasury uh, in TUS as sort of um, um, uh, as a lever uh, for balancing. So initially, um, even before we launched, we sort of modeled how uh, TUS um, and, and CRA uh, would behave or what their relationship would be. So, so you can think of this as sort of a certain uh, uh, rate um, of exchange between TUS and CRA. And this rate then becomes a very strong tool for us to measure game activity as well. How users are treating the game. It's it's actually a really good uh, leave it to have. And just to dig a bit deeper there, so let's say that you have an um, increasing exchange rate of TOS, so your utility token versus CRA, which is your governance token. What does that signal then to you in that regard? We look at a couple of things, right? So first of all, I think the amount of exchanges that would result uh, in this. So say, for example, we have seen players rotate to CRA from TUS at times when, when they feel like CRA is slightly uh, undervalued in that sense. But generally, I think TUS is not only packed to CRA, but it's also, you know, we have, a, we have an AVAX pair as well. And, you know, when we see TUS uh, just go up, just increase at, at a faster rate than CRA, uh, we see this as new players entering the ecosystem and buying craps. Because in order to buy a crap, you know, you, you require TUS. It's a really good point. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm making a tweet of this or Twitter thread of this um, that's probably going to be out before this episode goes live. But anyway, I've, I've, I've realized that, um, you know, in many of the discussions between traditional game developers and Web3 game developers, um, I feel like one of the issues is that people are having a different definition of what a game is. And traditional game developers look at a game as, you know, exactly the piece of software um, that a player interacts with, you know, to have fun. That's basically the game. So in your case, you know, literally like sending the um, the crabs on their mining mission or doing the looting, right? Attacking other, other uh, players. Um, and what I think we then disagree on, or what I think Web3 game developers 
see is that, you know, having to decide whether you're going to go risk on or risk off by, you know, exiting out of the governance token um, and into the, you know, um, AVAX token, which is uh, by definition almost, you know, less risky or less volatile, at least than the, the games token itself. I think that becomes part of the game, you know, just thinking in these economic terms, seeing that, you know, more players are flooding the markets. So you're going to allocate more to, you know, getting new crabs or I don't even know how that dynamic works. Uh, maybe we go into that, but uh, I feel like, you know, it's this different definitions around, you know, how games, what a game actually is, I think is at the key of, of a lot of these, you know, discussions and, and disagreements. So to chime in here, um, I think what the kind of gameplay we see now is like very similar to you know, players in World of Warcraft or players in RuneScape we used to sit like, you know, the Grand Exchange of the Auction House and just have their spreadsheets open and kind of monitor different prices of different, you know, in-game assets. And the game for them is kind of maximizing the, the yield, the yield um, given their, you know, sort of entry rate. And then sort of intelligently timing the market and, you know, helping to control different parts of the, you know, in this case, the crab economy, right? So like looking at, okay, well, this, this these crabs are, you know, pretty powerful right now. And, you know, why sort of to get the, the plans for the game developers to kind of combat this, sort of, you know, coming up with different proposals. And it is a very kind of metagaming kind of game, right? That, yeah, so that's one piece. And second piece, of course, is like the breeding aspect of the game, which also takes kind of this metagame knowledge. And we see this, you know, in, in these kind of games as well. So, you know, even beyond the, so the game system where you send in, you know, dif different, you know, crabs to mine, or a game like Crypto Raiders, for example, sending in your Raiders to you know, raid a dungeon. Like there's very, you know, the game extends beyond the game, so to speak. Right. Yeah, totally. Your thoughts, Tender? Yeah, absolutely. So I think with, you know, with blockchain, you know, with DEXs, with, with the ease of access to just connecting to that um, as, as, as a blockchain game, you're so close to that financial layer that there are there are games there are like like Ryan said, there are additional uh, meta games that 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 can be played. So you know, it, it goes beyond, I think, just um, just the in-game metagame itself, but also the exchange rate, uh, being able to um, provide liquidity, um, how, how we would be balancing that. And I think in the future, as we introduce uh, crafting, which is one of our plans to create a more uh, complex and diverse economy, uh, this would also give birth to more metagames around, say, for example, uh, asset speculation, shifts in, uh, in meta. And um, I, I think, you know, just this financial layer makes it a lot more interesting and also transforms it uh, a little bit to be a bit more uh, high stakes to some extent. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, good points. Then my next question, next question is, um, what does a player needs to get started? Because, that, because that's always, you know, the question. Um, I assume you need a crab or, or multiple crabs to get started? So currently you would require uh, three crabs to be able to play in any of the two game modes. Uh, however, you could also, you know, if you do not have three crabs, um, there are also ways to participate. In this case, it would be renting. So you could, you could with one crab, um, just put it in the, in the tavern. And the tavern is a place where uh, other players could borrow your crabs to, uh, to reinforce their own troops when they get attacked or to attack someone. So there, there are sort of simple ways to participate, even if you do not have three crabs. And I think uh, down the line, we really want to increase the accessibility to the crabs themselves. Because right now, it's, uh, it's a bit costly to start a team. And um, we are working on sort of mechanics, say, for example, um, like how you would pay down payment for a car. And we actually want to replicate um, this concept within the game. So this would significantly reduce the capital outlay in order to get started. And you could sort of just pay off, um, pay off the, the loan yeah. via playing itself. That's really interesting. And so um, how does it, like how much, 
how much does one crab cost to get started? I see I see Ryan laughing real hard because I think this this answer is going to be interesting. So sorry, go ahead then. Um, yeah, so currently a crab costs in the range between like, I think like 2.5K to about 10K. Uh, we have seen crabs go for about um, way more than that, right? Like six figures. But I think those are more for like collector value than actual um, uh, utility. But I think just to get started, the crabs cost between 2.6 to about uh, 10K. Which which might explain why you currently have 2,000, you know, players playing the game instead of the, you know, 200,000 that you might want. Um so if I understand correctly, you need to, let's say, two and a half K to get one crab that you can then rent out. And if you want to do, you know, have the full mining or looting experience, you need three, which, you know, <laughs> comes at a, at a cost of seven and a half thousand US dollars. Yeah. So, so, so one thing, one thing that kind of, we kind of see is like, you know, there's a lot of unknown unknowns for, for, you know, this is kind of like more broadly for Web3 games, right? It's kind of like a lot of unknown unknowns, you know, before, you know, you begin to launch like the system and once you kind of launch the system in place, it's, pretty difficult to begin shifting the economy, so to speak. So uh, the way you kind of think about it is like, you know, um, estimating market demand is, is really a difficult challenge, right? And, and kind of being able to sort of navigate around that and, you know, continue to increase accessibility for players is like also another challenge. Because just because like, you know, the supply is not something that, you know, um, the social contract, I guess you sign when you sort of sell these NFTs or like, you know, when you have like a minting or whitelist kind of mint, whitelist then mint of these NFTs, right? Like, uh, it is a kind of tricky place to to be to be in, right? Just because like now you you know artificially inflating the supply, you know, to match like the you know demand for these these assets, right? Um, it's gonna be tricky, right? And the second the second piece, it's like, but at the same time, like you know, you do want to increase accessibility to the game. So I think one kind of potential approach that we're beginning to see or, you know, I kind of forecast, right, would be moving more towards like the RuneScape members versus like the RuneScape free-to-play approach, right? So, you know, in a game like RuneScape, you have this free-to-play economy where everyone can go on and cut EU logs and fish for lobsters and sell them for, for GP, right? But then there's also like a members economy where, you know, people are kind of paying, you know, this subscription fee or like sort of buying into the game and, you know, by extension, they have a lot more influence on the sort of real money economy or like, you know, real value economy. Maybe edit out real money economy, but like, or real value, but like, you know, the economy where there's you know, some sort of value being exchanged in the tokens, right? And um, so I think, you know, we, we might begin to see more shifts towards that. But, you know, at this point, we just don't have the tooling to, to be able to, we haven't built out all the tooling to be able to make that, make that more accessible quite yet. So I think it's kind of a rock and hard place for a lot of these games. Um, and, you know, kind of got to see that evolve over time. So I think one kind of way they're working on increasing accessibility is through, I think uh, he alluded to this earlier, um, Tinder, but a potential way to have players, either, you know, kind of with guilds that they really buy up like uh, these assets and, you know, allow scholars to play. So the scholarship system or, you know, second, quite potentially, uh, you know, this this rental model, right? Um, yeah, so... Definitely kind of keen for them to expand a bit more on that. I can, sh- I can share something interesting about um, the sort of decisions that that we made, um, you know, coming up to launch. Because uh, at that stage, you, you know, you have no idea what market validation uh, looks like. Maybe you have some sensing through, you know, through, I think, like social metrics. But 
you know, um, I think largely, uh, you know, the, the launch of the game itself uh, is something that is pretty unknown event what happens after. So one thing that we did was to just um, not try and price our craps ourselves and just leave it to the marketplace and, and players uh, themselves, right, to determine what is a suitable price. Um, in, in this case, then, you know, the responsibility of the game developers, we've sort of shifted this res- responsibility to the players um, themselves for them to, to manage this um, economy. And for us, it's just more of a, I think, um, you know, a, a light touch approach uh, to it until we get more data. Um, another thing that we chose to do was to just give away the craps. So initially, when you took part in sort of like the, uh, the, com- the community sale, you would be able to claim, to claim a couple of craps uh, from that. So that was how we jump-started the, um, you know, the um, uh, ecosystem, just by giving things away. Um, and I'm, and I'm, a, I'm a big fan of this model because I believe like, uh, you know, in the space that's so open and you know, very transparent, um, the more you give, the, the more you would receive as well. And we want players to just be invested just right from the start, right? It's so easy to become a player um, at, at that stage in time when we were launching and they were following us, you know, for a couple of months. Yeah, no, I've, I think, you know, just kind of extending on that point, like on the Web3 game side of things, right? Like, you know, a lot of the more successful approaches we've seen is, you know, you have sort of this early bootstrapping of the team kind of market validation where they, you know, they buy into initial NFT mint. And then later on, like, this is kind of a, a thought I've been thinking about for, for quite a bit now, like sort of NFT airdrops as you know, kind of a new way to, you know, one, to like your community and add value. Like the second, I think, you know, you kind of, still have revenue that accrues back to the protocol, right? Just because of secondary market transactions on those on those assets. But the third, third piece is that you kind of let the players determine the, the price and the value of these different assets. And, you know, it's not up to the protocol to, to anchor prices for these for these assets. Um, it's only, you know, they, they kind of, and kind of moving away from like, well, transactions and sales to, you know, well, I'm managing an economy and supporting the economy over time and trying to help it sort of steward that economy, right? But never really kind of taking a very active part in, or like a direct part in, in the economy. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I think sort of harkening back to our earlier discussion about digital nations, I think this mm-hmm. is kind of another extension of that, so to speak. Yeah, I, I think ownership is a really big piece of that because um, I think uh, I would allude to this analogy of sort of a investor player class. Because when you own the governance token and when you're playing the game, you know, the, these are traditionally two very separated uh, actions, right? So of course you could play WoW and, you know, buy, uh, buy Activision uh, uh, shares, but, you know, or, or yeah. But um, yeah, um, it, like in this case, you know. Um, Microsoft shares. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, now Microsoft shares. But, you know, um, um, in this case, you know, um, we see that, you know, most players would have a balance of, of uh, both essentially. And then, you know, you would, I, I think, you know, US investor would want to, make uh, longer term decisions, um, you know, to, to try and support the game. And, you know, you as a player would also, I think like, you know, just aligning those agendas between investors and players. Makes a lot of sense. So if, if you need more than $2,000 to get started, you know, in any way, and if you want to like get, like start playing actually the game, you need 7K, how do you think about, you know, user base growth? You currently have 2000 players. Um, are you counting on guilds to come in and, and help you out? Um, how are you reasoning around that, Tender? I think I can show on two things on some of the things that, that we have seen so far or some of the things that we have done to address this um, as well as how we think about it. So as, as a game that, that has emissions just right from the start, right, it's somewhat scary because, um, you know, you're, you're just, you know, not sure where that might end up, like how much balancing that, that you have to do if something gets exploited, uh, how would you respond and how severe things uh, could get. And 
I think one thing one thing about this sort of the uh, the current limited supply of crab seeds, uh, by reducing this assess- accessibility somewhat unintentionally from the start, um, we're just able to have a smaller smaller impact um, on on the economy since it's just early days, right? Um, uh, the problem doesn't sort of like compound exponentially in a short period of time, so we're still able to track it and have the time to just think about next steps. So I think that's one benefit that we have of just starting out pretty small. Mm-hmm. And what we've done so far is that we've seen uh, grassroots movements where players have just uh, tried to help with the accessibility uh, problem by giving away crabs. So we have a couple of players that just, you know, um, including Leo from um, from Pangolin, they just help to orchestrate uh, giveaways to players. So they do this purely independently by themselves. So they 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 vet players and then they you know they choose to disperse uh, crabs to them. So I think that's really cool. I think from our end, we're also investigating uh, free to start as well. Um, so free to start, it's a very it's a very interesting concept, but it might not be that easy to apply it to a game that is currently already live, right? So it's for us it's about it's about how we navigate this. So how I imagine this would not be um, a free to start crab itself, right? Um, it's not possible, um, but maybe you know a different sort of character that has maybe uh, slightly different uh, rewards around it. And I think the biggest problem actually with free to start um, in crypto it's if you want to re- if you want to retain the decentralized approach, then there are a lot of attack surfaces to consider. See, for example, like civil attacks. It's just uh, potentially uh, very uh, impactful. What is it? What is a civil attack? Sorry. Yeah, I I can explain a bit more about a cyber attack. So the idea of a, a civil or cyber attack is that basically for the gaming crowd, it's the problem of bots, right? So someone, one person being able to play hundreds or thousands or hundreds of thousands of accounts um, and potentially sort of like, you know, bought out the entire economy, the, the parts that are bottable, right? So I think this is kind of a challenge um, if, you know, those actions can result in some sort of reward, right? So I think it's going to be kind of a cat and mouse for a lot, a lot of these devs and, you know, the current sort of gate there then is the, of course, like buy-in, right? Um, on the, the asset side of things. But, Going free to start, I think, presents that problem yeah, that needs yeah, yeah. to be addressed. Uh, the problem of, sort of cyber or civil resistance. Because I, I think uh, unlike traditional games where, you know, you have a, you know, you have a very easily gated entry point, which is, you know, your, your, your sign up, your login. Um, and there's sort of a disconnect between, um, you know, playing mm-hmm. the game and actually uh, uh, extracting financial value from the game itself. Um, you know, if we were to embrace the decentralized uh, you know, uh, aspect of crypto, then you know there is no authentication besides you know having a wallet address, and if you can get exploited for even a small amount of money, and that can be done infinitely, yeah. then you know you have a very serious problem on your hand. It's interesting. Is there any kind of skill expression in, in the game right now? It's an idle game. Um, I'm assuming the mining. There's no no really decisions that get made, but I'm assuming with the attack and the looting, uh, there might be some there. So currently, the game is not at a stage where there are very complex mechanics, and um, one reason that we chose to limit features on launch was just due to the uh, uncertainty of uh, adoption. So in this case, the, the, the more features you actually choose to put into a game that's on-chain, um, you actually run the risk that players would have a very high cost of, um, you know, of just playing, right? It's not a very enjoyable experience. And, and we just didn't want to do that at the start to, uh, to players to make it a risk right? to even make uh, one action on-chain. And you know, this was, again, you know, a consequence of deciding to do everything uh, on-chain as well. Right, it's just the the same analogy. It's that you know on, on Ethereum when you trade NFTs, um, you know, do you understand that that you know the, the cost of gas is naturally going to be uh, quite high already? But you know, at, at a point of time, it's you just believe that there is 
you know, there is positive EV, right? There's more upside and it's worth the risk. And mm-hmm. um, I think like, you know, it's might be a bit extreme to just apply this to every single action within the game itself. Makes sense. What is the current transaction um, fee for uh, an avalanche, avalanche transaction? Maybe I'll, I'll just say that, you know, on average, a player spent about, you know, one AVAX, um, you know, per week on uh, on the game itself as gas fees. So one AVAX, it's currently around, I think, uh, $80 right now. Okay. So it, it is still relatively significant. Yep, that's right. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, let's let's talk about the future. So you're saying that you plan to include some more, you know, the complex mechanics inside of your game. Um, I'm assuming there that you're also counting for gas fees to reduce. Um, and I mean, yeah, you can elaborate on that and maybe also some other, you know, things you have in mind for the future. Maybe you can you know, elaborate on the subnets you you touched upon earlier. So I think, you know, um, in in our efforts to uh, launch and build Krabada, um, one of the biggest pain points was around the gas consideration for users. We just didn't want to punish users for playing the game. Um, I, I think blockchain for DeFi makes a lot of uh, sense because transaction values are usually uh, higher. But within the game itself, um, you know, not every action has a very high uh, uh, consequence, right? See, for example, if you're traveling from one town to the next and you want this to be on chain, you know, does does that really make sense? And currently, right now, we are um, we are one of the biggest uh, gas spenders on on Avalanche itself. So we can see that 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 you know that this is a real issue. And on the game development side, game developers are sort of forced to uh, adopt other models. Say, for example, you know, uh, hybrid architecture uh, just to sort of reduce the amount of gas that that they spend. Um, and in, in our case, it's sort of cutting features uh, if we're on chain. So one really um, cool thing about Avalanche uh, subnets is that it allows us to uh, to build our own blockchain um, relatively easily. We do not have a big team, but um, you know it's 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 a great technology. So with this new blockchain that we're building on on uh, the Avalanche subnets, it allows it allows us to set sort of uh, our own parameters around gas, um, around operational costs for the user and for the developers. So. We see this vision of this blockchain where you could play games uh, for free. Developers can build without gas considerations. You have complete liberty of design as to how you want to build it. And instead, the operational cost of running a blockchain would be, you know, would be shouldered by the marketplace, right? Where it actually makes sense, where players would execute financial transactions that, you know, that that they actually don't mind being taxed for, rather than just every in-game step. Mm-hmm. Is that is that like what what um, the Axie team is doing with Ronan? Yeah, it's very similar um, in, in the concept of a network where you know players and developers are not punished by uh, gas fees. So in our case, it's sort of a different technology uh, stack in, in, uh, just because you know Avalanche um, subnets just allow us to bootstrap this entire process of setting up a blockchain, uh, getting validators in to run it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very, uh, it's it's a very, uh, I would say, like uh, uh, easy uh, process for us to to use. Okay, so. My final question would be, where where's like um, Corbata in 12 months and where's Corbata in three years? Um, uh, you talked about this, these subnets, you know, as you said, I think um, it's probably easier to build a certain, like a new blockchain using these, you know, this avalanche framework than it would be to build, rebuild, you know, uh, a complete, you know, Ethereum sidechain from scratch. Like, uh, I guess this guy Mavis team did, but they just had a bigger team, I guess. Um, but what's the time frame on these things? So uh, by the end of February, we would be launching our subnets and moving uh, our current game and marketplace uh, to the subnets. So sort of just dogfooding it. So yeah, it's, it's pretty soon on the timeline. And uh, in March, we would be launching our, our cross-platform game that would be uh, deployed on the subnet as well. 
And uh, and even currently right now, we're talking to games that are just really interested in having these zero gas solutions. So recently we spoke to, to a couple of games that you know were slated to launch later this year. And for us, it's just having this uh, infrastructure set up for them, showing that it works and you know welcoming them to join mm-hmm. this zero gas blockchain. That's fascinating. Really cool. Yeah, I think um, I've, I have a pretty good view of, of what Corbata is and where you guys are going. Um, it's interesting. I think um, I always thought that, you know, idle games on, on blockchains made sense because just the fact that you don't need to interact that often uh, and you can keep more of that stuff on chain anyway uh, to reduce gas fees. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, I think that's everything. Um, Tender, is there anything you, you want to give away to or, or give to our listeners? Any, anything you'd like to share? Any, you know, requests you'd like to make? Um, there's a lot of game pe- games people listening. What do you want to tell them? Stop building in Web 2 and start building in Web 3? Or uh, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a very welcoming space. There's a lot that, that can be done. And uh, we have spoken to a lot of game teams that just, that just are launching on Avalanche. And if, you know, uh, if anybody wants to chat about this, just feel free to reach me, uh, to contact me on, on Twitter. And where they, can people find you on Twitter? They can just find me at uh, Oxtender on Twitter. Is that Oxtender or Zero Xtender? Uh, it's O extender. O extender. All right. So uh, O X and then T E N D E R. Ryan, final message from you. Likewise, uh, Web three games are a very welcoming space, and I think like a uh, very welcome <laughs> um, sort of traditional gaming teams who are you know more curious, explore a bit more about you know this new type of monetization, very promising new type of monetization model that you know incorporates. The interests of developers, players, and investors as well, right? So, definitely, you know, get in touch if you're interested to speak a bit more about this, right? Um, likewise on Twitter, I think, you know, there's a whole sort of set of practices to learn and you know practices to unlearn as well, and there's experience that you can bring forth from you know prior background. But I think you know, it's all good, well and good, and you know I think Nico is also very open to being reached out to. So of course, yeah, on Twitter it's a uh, zero. X R Y Z E, rise like the League of Legends champion, and I mean if if this stuff interests you, I highly recommend joining the Navic Discord. We talk about blockchain games a lot. Uh, very open minded. Um, if you're still critical, feel free to join us and um, and share your critical thoughts. Um, we try to have open discussions. We're, we're not a bunch of crypto bros. Um, we try to you know keep. Uh, hey, what's wrong with a bunch of crypto bros? I agree, man. But no, I agree. Just, I mean, just kidding. Um, Most of my friends. Yeah. If, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, yeah, of course, got a, a big shout out to Delphi Digital for putting out some, you know, cutting edge institutional grade research on crypto. Dude, are you hijacking my podcast to to shill your own stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just saying, you know, if you want kind of <laughs> high level stuff, check it out, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's true. No, I agree. I mean, Delphi puts out some fantastic stuff. Navic also puts out some fantastic stuff. Um, you know, if you're interested in, in the limitations or the problems with with you know current play to earn games, read our Axie report, our deep dive. It's it's a lot of words, but very very interesting words. You can also listen to the podcast we did about that. It might be easier. Um, with yeah, with that, that's everything. So um, Thunder and Ryan, thank you so much for joining. I really enjoyed this. Um, I think Robata is cool. I'll definitely keep an eye on it. I don't know yet if I'm going to be willing to you know put money in. I did that with Axie. I bought myself three Axies and I was crap at the game, so I never and I never even won a PvP match. Anyway, so um, yeah, thank you so much for listening, listeners. I uh, hope you enjoyed. If you did, feel free to leave us a good rating, share with your friends. If you want to continue this discussion, Ryan's in our Discord, 
maybe I can convince Tender to join as well so you can ask him some questions. And then with that, the Metacast is out and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers. <laughs>